You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm joined this week by Jess Booth, who is a partner with VWV. Uh, Jess will introduce herself in a moment, but she is an expert in all things property. And we often hear with family businesses that there are um, property assets within either the family or the family business itself. And it can be quite a complicated area. So I thought I'd get Jess on today to have a chat about some of the things you may want to look out for. So firstly, hi Jess, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Russ. Um, As I say, you're a a partner with VWV. Could you give our audience a little bit more background as to how you came to, uh, to be doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, VWV, for people that don't know, is a full-service law firm. Uh, We're based uh, in Bristol, uh, where I'm based, London, uh, Watford and Birmingham. And we we provide services um, across the board, really. So everything, employment, corporate and property, which is what I do. we have a dedicated family business team um, with lawyers in all disciplines uh, who have got extra interest and extra uh, training to advise family businesses on all the pitfalls um, that can befall them. Uh, so in terms of how I got there, um, both my parents are from family business stock. Okay. Uh, my mum, her uh, Dad and granddad ran jute mills in Dundee, okay. um, and that's been that's sort of quite a big part of her family story. Um, interesting, uh, sort of growing up around those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad uh, is a serial entrepreneur. Really ran uh, businesses throughout his whole life, um, from a very small business. Uh, when he was 18, peeling potatoes for the catering industry, uh-huh, delivering excellent. them in the back of his dad's Capri, uh-huh. uh, called Peelies. <laughs> Good name. Um, uh, and then uh, for the whole of my childhood, really running a transport company for the film industry, um, wow. where so all of the props, the um, wardrobe, a makeup truck, um, and also a dining bus, which was my favourite thing as a, yeah. as a kid. So parked next to the catering truck, and it uh-huh. was a double-decker bus made out like a diner. Um, and he did that, like I say, for the whole of my childhood. Um, and always used to say to me as a child, he used to dangle some keys of a truck in front of me and say, the day you turn 18, I'm going to retire and this will all be yours. Right. Unfortunately, the, the film industry got the better of it. Uh-huh. Um you know, the British film industry is not really what it was. Mm. Um, so the business didn't make it to my 18th birthday. Right. Um, uh, so I had to find something else to do. Uh, and that's ended up being law. You chose law. Uh, and commercial property. Um, uh-huh. But sort of out of that background of, you know, family business and, and entrepreneurial spirit being quite big in my childhood, when I was at university, um, I set up my own business um, with my partner at the time. Uh Um, He was a chef. 
didn't like the split shifts. It's quite it's quite you know stressful and, yeah. and not a great lifestyle. Um, so we uh, had an opportunity to take over a commercial kitchen, um, and we ran a bakery out of it, making pies and pasties. Lovely. Um, which we would sell at farmers markets, sell wholesale um, into farm shops and that sort of thing. And also, we did some white labelling. Uh-huh. Um, turns out that he'd swapped split shifts for just working straight through so no gap in the middle anymore uh, and seven days a week where he used wow. to get a day off yeah. um but and this was while you were at uni yeah it? yeah okay. so, so you were studying my, as well alongside my law degree right. um and my law finals um i yeah we did that uh we run it for sort of three years um and yeah i did all the accounts and payroll and those mm-hmm. sorts of things but also a lot of the selling um and you know occasionally chopping some potatoes uh-huh. that's about as far as my yeah. culinary skills went <laughs> um uh but a really great experience for me to have that you know that experience and, and all of both of our families were involved um as well so, you know we'd need help if we could only do two markets at once but actually you can make a lot more pies and if you can scale that up uh-huh. then you can you can sort of take full advantage of your saturday morning window which is really a your best opportunity yeah. so our families were involved and um my partner and I split up um and that was when my involvement in the business came very abruptly to an end right. um and the business came to an end actually shortly after that it mm-hmm. needed two people yeah. pouring everything into it to make it work um and that experience was was interesting really and, and sort of really cemented my interest in you know those family businesses and, and the, the stresses and strains that it can put on relationships, but as well as the huge reward of having something which is your own endeavour. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so then I went off and finished my training as a lawyer. Uh-huh. I trained in um, Portsmouth and Southampton, um, but then around qualification, I really wanted to be back home, which is Bristol and mm-hmm. the southwest for me. Um in very, very lucky that a job came up at VWV um, and it was really the best move ever for me. I knew I wanted to do commercial property. That was very clear to uh-huh. me. Um, but when I arrived at VWV and realised that there was a family business team, dedicated team here um, run by Nick Smith, who I know you know. Yes. Um, here, it was just like everything had come full circle. Uh-huh. Everything that I wanted to combine um you know, in my career was there and that opportunity was there. Um, you know, an opportunity to do additional training with ICFIB as it was, um, to really, you know, learn more about the sort of technical aspects of governance and succession and all of those things to really build into the commercial property yeah. work that I do. Because quite often family businesses come to a law firm for a distinct thing Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to go to a law firm that even if you're asking questions about employment or uh, property that the lawyer that you're talking to has in the back of their mind they're not going to ram you know a governance review down your throat (laughs) but they've got in the back of their mind that actually a throwaway remark about you know, oh, I own this property with my brother Mm. can actually be the gateway to a conversation of of a very large issue to deal with um, and to ensure that 
that's dealt with and you don't miss any of those mm. opportunities to get something recorded and, yeah. and settled. Absolutely. And as you say, you, you've chosen commercial property as your um, specialism. And it, uh, often it, it's, we were talking um, before we hit the record button about the fact that a, a family business property doesn't have a different color roof to a non-family business property. Um, so it is good, I guess, that you get the exposure on, on both sides by having a dedicated family business unit here and, and then having your specialism in, in commercial property. And commercial property is something that comes up um, quite often with businesses. And so is there um, sort of some key things to consider for, for people if they're looking at property, be that leasing it or buying it? What, what sort of things should people be looking out for? So I think the, the main thing with a commercial property is I think the first the sort of position that you've got to come at, at it from is what do you want it for? So if you, if you want something to do, you know, for example, take my example of the commercial kitchen that we ran our bakery from, it would have been no good to have an office in the centre of town. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to think about what do you need it for. If you're going to have a lot of deliveries coming in and out, you need somewhere to park, you need access, everything needs to be easy. You don't want to be somewhere where traffic's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so really, space, location and use are the primary things that people will think about when they're thinking about taking a commercial property mm -hmm. um, and if you've got those things right, then it may actually drive the decision of whether you're going to buy or lease if you're in a position to make the choice. Yeah. If you find the perfect property and ideally you, you've, you know, you've, maybe you've got the cash to buy it or you know you've got available finance to buy it, um, but the perfect property the landlord doesn't want to sell, yeah. then taking a lease, that's what you're going to end up doing. Mm. Um, I think it's very rarely a... 50-50 choice because you know you might have a you know a, a strong desire to do it but you'll find the perfect property and most people will work out a way of making that happen mm. um, and I think in terms of the the main differences for a business thinking about whether they buy or they lease um, and, and by buying I mean purchasing the freehold of something mm -hmm. or maybe taking a very long lease so right. in 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 terms of leases, you can either have leases which are sort of, you know, five, ten, you know, maybe twenty-five years, mm -hmm. um, and then there's a sort of tends to be a jump then up to ninety-nine years plus, so right. ninety-nine, one hundred and twenty-five, or nine, nine, nine years wow. are the more common um, lengths. And once you get up past sort of ninety-nine years it's essentially like you're buying the freehold. Right. There's some restrictions there, um, but essentially you're, you only, you've got a lot more freedom to do what you want to do with it. So when I talk about buying, I'm talking about freehold and a longer lease. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking about leasing, then you've got a, a shorter term, um, and those are really up to negotiation. You, you, know, you might only want a five-year lease. Yeah. Um, you might want a 25-year lease, but you can only get a 15. Mm -hmm. It's whatever works for you and the landlord when negotiating a lease. Um, so in terms of the differences for a business, you know, if you're buying, you're, you've got the initial outlay, obviously. You've got to find the cash yeah. to buy it. We all know that from you know our own residential exactly. situations. Yeah. Um, but 
what you get is a capital asset for mm-hmm. the business. Um, so you, that's good um, in terms of in your balance sheet and everything, and, and also the emotional security. I think as a as a nation, we're very interested in property ownership. Yeah. Um, far more than on the continent I know that uh-huh. much more of a leasing culture um, and I think that that feeds through into into family businesses um, I think on the whole family businesses seem more likely to have ownership ambitions uh-huh. for their premises um, and I don't know whether that's the sort of more long-term view that family businesses tend to take um, the sort of you know financial security that they crave mm-hmm. or whether the fact actually they are thinking multi-generational yeah. um the other way i've heard it explained is uh is like the business is another child in mm-hmm. the family yeah and everyone wants to get their kids on the property ladder uh-huh. and so the business is just another one yeah. of those so that's a nice way of thinking about it, isn't yeah. it yeah and i think that 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 can ring quite true for some people uh-huh. it's like they don't like the sort of perceived insecurity of leasing mm. Um, and the other things about buying a property is freedom. You don't mm-hmm. have to consult with your landlord if you want to do something. You still need to go and get planning permission yeah. and everything if you're doing anything um, major. But it's your decision what you do with it, um, and you've got that freedom. But the other side of that um, is that you've got the obligation. The obligations are yours uh, completely. It's completely your responsibility. Um, whereas under a lease, you you may have only some of the repairing obligations, especially if you're in part only of a bit of a building. Mm-hmm. There could also be a service charge where um, maybe you're on an estate and the landlord is is running that. Yeah. Um, and in, whilst you do have to consult with the landlord um, for you know, even things like wanting to pass on the property so if you want to sell um the property uh or in some cases the the business as a whole depending on how you're going to structure that Mm -hmm. you're going to have to go and speak to your landlord and check that they're happy with who you're passing it on to um but uh then you come back to the fact that the outlay at the outset is going to be lower Mm -hmm. but you're going to have to find money every month or quarter or year to pay your rent Mm -hmm. um so it all comes down to circumstance. They are, they've both got good bits and bad bits, um, and it comes down to what works best for the mm. business. And I think it, you're right in, in that long-term view. I think it's quite important because it, it's a big decision to make, and it's a it can be a very big financial and emotional commitment to, to either buy or lease. And I, I think on the lease side of things, um, there's often break clauses, aren't there, in, in longer leases where you, you sort of have a break at, I don't know if it's a 15-year lease, you have a break at three, seven, and nine years. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking they can be two-way as well? So the, the landlord can turn around in three years and go, actually, uh, we've got someone else interested, or, or is it a one-way thing? So landlord breaks are... Um, far less common right. than a tenant break. Um, the the usual position is the landlord wants you to commit for as long as possible, mm-hmm. um, and the tenant will ideally want to keep that lower because yeah. so they've got the flexibility. Um, either if things aren't going so well at three years and they're going to wind things down, yeah. or they're going to 
um, you know, maybe go back to home working or whatever suits, um, or because things are going so well that they're bursting at the seams yeah. and actually there's no way to expand within their current property. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the fun. That's the one I like yes. to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's why tenants will perhaps want to see them. A landlord may want to see one if it thinks it's going to redevelop mm-hmm. um, or if it's going to um, you know, want to sell and actually the occupier market will be better for it than the investor market. So it would want to sell to someone that wants to move in themselves. Um, They're fairly unusual. um, And there's a a piece of legislation actually that protects tenants um, in in terms of being able to automatically renew your lease Mm -hmm. when it expires. Um, So it's called the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. Mm -hmm. Catchy as all property law things are. Um, Rolls off the tongue. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Most leases, I would say, probably up around 90% of them have that excluded from them. So landlords don't like to have that because essentially you're then stuck with someone Mm -hmm. um, for for rolling leases. um, Unless you can prove one of a number of specific grounds, um, which are pretty tricky to prove. um, And... You know, if you get into a real fight about it, it yeah. can be expensive yeah. and time-consuming. All those things, no one wants mm-hmm. really. Um, so, if you if you're inside the protection of that act, um, a landlord would have to go through that process to operate its break. So you right. you wouldn't see a landlord break in a mm-hmm. protected lease, um, but they they happen. And I think with with property things, there are lots of rules surrounding it. Um, but you can you can you can sort of make anything happen mm-hmm. um, in a in a lease. It just comes down to what the landlord wants, what the tenant wants, okay. the balance of negotiation mm-hmm. um, position when you're when you're doing the heads of terms, um, and what works best for both the parties. So the flexibility that you'll get will depend on you know, maybe the market. You're likely to get a much more flexible term if the market's not so great for mm-hmm. landlords because they really want a tenant in there for however long, mm-hmm. um, even if it's only for a potentially short period right. of time. Okay, excellent. And you mentioned um, uh, earlier on about a, a sort of throwaway comment of, I own this property with my brother, uh, as an example. Um, are there any particular advantages or disadvantages to owning it in personal names as opposed to as, as a business asset? Uh, are there things for people to be aware of there? Yeah, absolutely. I think the different types of ownership that can arise I mean in all businesses obviously um, but they they sort of loom a bit larger for family businesses as choices to make um, I think one of the first things um, to say is it's it's important to think about what function the property uh, carries out for the business mm-hmm. so quite a lot of uh, businesses they're they're premises is the home for the family business so that might be a factory my commercial kitchen mm-hmm. um, a shop anything like that sometimes they're the business itself so you can have a, a, a buy-to-let portfolio for example and then you get hybrid ones agriculture is always the, mm-hmm. the the prime example where it is the business 
it's where the business is yeah. and quite often for agriculture it's also where the family live mm-hmm. um so there's that and then you get you might get ancillary investment properties so there's probably different answers for the different ways in which property fits in slots into the family business mm-hmm. um i mean the main and there'll be right answers for different businesses at different stages of their life cycle um, and with different uh, different personalities involved, um, different sizes of family, you know, depending at which generation yeah. they are, all of those things. Um, so if a family business is going to own the property within the trading business, one of the main things to think about in terms of that is it's a big asset if you're going to buy it mm-hmm. um if it's within the family business it it is exposed to the ups and down of that business mm-hmm. so if you know if unfortunately there were a serious problem with the liquidity of the business that's a business asset and yeah. so it's you know, it's exposed to those fluctuations mm-hmm. and, and, and could go if the family business goes and then the family have lost maybe their main asset as well as the business at the same time um but it then would feature on the business the balance sheet for the business it's it's you know it makes lending and borrowing and all of those things easier for the business Mm -hmm. you know the business may have enough then to go for bigger contracts all of those things um if an individual's going to own it from that point of view insulated from the ups and downs of the company Mm. but the individual is then exposed to the maintenance and repair obligations it may be that the uh that the property um the rent that it would receive from the property from the business um maybe doesn't cover the outgoings of Mm. the property and so you've got a mismatch there um but one of the things that's very good about that structure where individuals own the property and maybe lease it back to the family business is it's a way of extracting income out of the business Uh um, for individuals who don't work in the business um, or people who've retired Uh Um, so that's a that's a good thing about it Um, the other main difference between owning it within the business and owning it outside the business is tax. Uh-huh. Um, and I should probably flag at this point, definitely not a tax expert. <laughs> you and me both. We very, <laughs> yeah. we very luckily have those uh-huh. in the firm um, and I can ring them, you know, when I know, uh, you know, when there's something that I need to know. Uh-huh. Um, but just sort of broadly, um, owning it within a business is, is likely uh, to be better for things like company tax, which is usually lower than most rates of income tax. Uh-huh. Um, entrepreneur's relief is going to be more favourable, probably, uh-huh. in most circumstances. Um, and you know things like inheritance, say business property relief, those things are going to be better. Um, but when you if you sell the property there'll be a double charge mm. potentially to income tax um, and capital gains tax within the company so it again completely comes down to circumstances mm-hmm. um, and I mean buying a property 
in in any sense in in any situation is a big decision mm. um, and tax is one of those things you, you've got to sit down with an expert at yeah. that point and work out what works best for your circumstances as they are at that date mm-hmm. but also your best guess of your circumstances in yeah. you know 10 20 30 years time really mm. and it's, it's that long term property yeah. works on those sorts of cycles because uh-huh. you're if you're looking at owning it for a short period of time you are going to have to think about how you, you know, liquidate that asset and then distribute the proceeds of it. Mm-hmm. I think it comes back to the old saying, doesn't it? Don't let the tax tail wag the we use with financial planners, so it's the yes. investment dog. Um, tax is a consideration to, to bear in mind, but it's not the sole consideration. There's far more to it than just thinking tax is slightly better here, so let's do it that way. Absolutely, and it is. It's It's the... You know, if you if you make a decision based purely on the tax implications, you've got to price those in. You've got to think about well, that's saving me X number of pounds. Um, but even on the most basic level, if that then creates a dispute, you could spend all of your saved tax yeah. money, tax <laughs> yeah. money uh, on that dispute. Uh-huh. Even um, you know, you, you'd also may have it may be less efficient for the company so the company may be held back in some way um, so I absolutely agree with you um, it's one of those things really if you get the tax position right then everything else can layer on top mm-hmm. of it excellent and we covered some of the sort of technical um, issues when it comes to, to property ownership um, we've look, looked at tax to, to a certain extent but, but what other technical sides of things do, do people need to look at when, when considering their, their ownership? So I think from a, from a purely property point of view the first one I would, would automatically go to as a property lawyer would be repair and maintenance of a right. property sort of factoring that in mm-hmm. you know, it's all very nice to have a converted barn in the Cotswolds yeah. but that might be really expensive uh-huh. to maintain um, you know, it's it's going to be beautiful, but it may not be uh, ideal for your situation. Um, the uh, not wishing to mention it all the time, but the commercial kitchen that I mm-hmm. ran was actually in a, a barn on an organic farm in Somerset. Wow! Um, and that the fit out costs were significant for uh-huh. that because um, it it needed to be environmental health compliant, mm-hmm. and so it had to be. Com- they had to build essentially inside it wow. a, 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 a plastic box so that because you can just never make a barn clean enough to cr- yep. create food inside. Uh-huh. Um, but that was and it was previous owners that had done that, so we were walking straight into something okay. that had been fitted out, which was great. But those sorts of things are, are really important to consider. Um, it's it's important also to think about sort of quite long term you might walk in somewhere and it's great but you know surveyors and and valuers are really important at the outset Uh to talk to them about you know the 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 sort of the the projected cost Uh of maintaining something for you know five years ten years Uh and those sorts of costs if you're under a lease um you, you you're going to have a quite high obligation probably depending on what's being negotiated um, about 
uh, what state you have to give it back to the landlord mm-hmm. in at the end. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's two options on from that front, um, two main options. Either you you negotiate a, a schedule of condition, which will usually be photographic and, and mm-hmm. take photos of everything, which is less than perfect. Yeah. Um, and that's the state in which you have to hand it back to the landlord. Um, the other option, and this is the default position, which I think surprises quite a lot of people, mm. is that the state you have to give something back to the landlord in is nothing to do with the state you got it in. Okay. Um, it, it's an objective state. You have to give it back to them in a, in a good and tenable condition. Uh-huh. Um, so even if there is something significant wrong with it at yeah. the outset, that may be something you're obliged to repair Wow. And then keep in a good condition until you give it back to the landlord. Okay. I think that surprises quite a lot of yeah. people. Um, and the way around that is this schedule of condition. Uh-huh. Um, so if you're ever going to take a lease on something which isn't perfect, um, a schedule of condition is a very good idea if you can negotiate uh-huh. one in. But obviously a landlord's going to want the yeah. other option. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think in terms of other technical issues um, around ownership, We've talked earlier about how family businesses take a, a long-term view um, of, of things, maybe even multi-generational views. Mm. Um, I had an interesting conversation uh, with someone at an event about um, they were just starting out, so they were first generation. Their, their children were uh, you know, in primary school. Mm. And they were talking about how um, they you know, they saw this already as a multi-generational business. They saw themselves as a family business. um, And they wanted to buy somewhere as soon as possible Uh to create a home for this family business um, so that it could grow. Uh Um, And it's just really interesting. I hadn't met someone that early on in a business that was looking that far forward. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the flip side of that is looking at... Um, exit strategies Uh so thinking about as we talked about earlier thinking about what if it doesn't go so well or what if it screams past all expectations Uh and you know you're you know you need more space in five years or all of those things what do you do if you've bought and that happens Uh do you hold on to it you know you'd if it, it had to have gone really, really well, I think, to, to be thinking, could I hold on to this and rent yeah. this out, create an investment property alongside our home, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. Um, and the sort of, you know, the, the exit strategies of what you're going to do with it, um, not always something you can think about mm. at the outset, um, but having a half half an eye on those sorts yeah. of things. At least um, raising it, it is part of that process, isn't it? Because absolutely. You might not know what the, the exit strategy is for that, but at least having sort of one eye on it means you don't go into it blind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the, the other thing, um, when we were talking about ownership structures earlier, one of the more sort of technical areas um, that it's quite useful with family businesses um, is the, the the structure of a, a holding company and an operating company. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hold, you know, a holding company that maybe owns the property and then you get lots of the benefits that we talked about earlier, um, you know, tax and being insulated from 
you know, risks yeah. outside of the business, mm-hmm. um, but also insulating the individuals from those risks um, of, of holding the business in a, in a company which isn't necessarily the trading company. Right. And then that, that holding company um, or property company, Propco, will then lease to the operating company. Uh-huh. So you see this quite frequently in maybe nursing homes that are family run, yep. um, also uh, hotels um, where maybe they've got lots of them. So one holding company is going to own them and then uh-huh. separate leases to separate businesses uh-huh. that run you know, the various businesses that maybe have been bought up over you know, a, a sort of jigsaw um, of building a bigger uh-huh. company. Um, and that can be a very useful... Um, very useful to have the lease in place Um, very nice to have that lease in place as well Um, one of the things that the sort of biggest pitfall really with family businesses is you're all family and so you don't do anything with your property holdings Mm -hmm. you just let it carry on as it is and and actually that's great Mm -hmm. whilst the individuals who you intend to be holding it, hold it. If anything happens to anyone, um, you know, you get into fairly difficult um, water very quickly. Yeah. So having something written down and recorded about the intentions of uh, what you want to happen with the property uh-huh. um, secures everyone's interests, really. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, we touched on it slightly there on, on uh, and we don't want to sort of focus on, on negatives, but you often, you, you don't hear about these things until there's some form of um, issue or dispute, um, either within the family or, or within the business. But perhaps we can cover a little bit of, as to how family businesses might want to consider um, owning uh, property and how that might affect relationships and dynamics within that family. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's one of the sort of largest areas um, that goes sort of unspoken, really. You know, it's it's one of those things that it it can cause huge tension within a business and a family uh, and a family business uh-huh. if those things aren't settled and um, and, and and sorted. You know, much like a will, if, if you don't get that sorted out, it can cause a lot of issues. Mm. The same thing really goes for your property holdings. Um, and it, it can very quickly, because it's such a big asset, especially if it's owned, mm. um, such an emotionally important asset um, in terms of, you know, it, it may be, you know, it may be sort of a flagship property, it might be historic, it might be the fa- former family home or current family home. Mm. All of those things are, um, you know, things which make it a very important thing for the family and for the business. Um, I think one of the sort of interesting um, examples that I've seen is um, so a family that ran a business uh, and there were so dad was sort of coming towards retirement uh, and two brothers were working in the business or should I say two brothers were employed 
in the business. Right. <laughs> um, one of them working really, really hard, and the other with some outside interests, uh-huh. other businesses, you know, less interested in the traditional family business, okay. and you know, trying to set up their own things, uh-huh. um, while still taking a salary from the family business and uh, operating out of the premises right. of okay. the family business, and. You know, whilst no one said anything about it, you very quickly, not only from the other family members, start getting resentment, mm. but from the other employees. Yeah. It's it's not great. And that's, you know, there's obviously lots of issues there beyond mm-hmm. a purely property issue. But actually, if that business is successful and then has a, a, maybe a designated part in a warehouse mm-hmm. or an office, you you could get into some tricky situations if there's a falling out yeah. because they're they're operating their business from your premises. Mm-hmm. If it if it's sort of ticks all of the boxes of being a lease, you could have the protection that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have this really tricky situation of this other business being, you know, maybe right smack bang in the middle of your business <laughs> yeah. in your business premises. <laughs> and you've got all of these horrible issues mm-hmm. which are unpleasant enough to sort out if there's been a falling out in the family anyway um and that just happens slowly and incrementally and no one really thinks about it you know it might be that it's a you know for an you know not a real life example but for example maybe they're doing some sort of online selling they're just selling some stuff on ebay maybe um not a problem yeah, they can probably do that in their lunch hour at the desk and no one's going to think anything of it Mm -hmm. but if it starts taking up an afternoon a week two days a week then they're all of a sudden not doing anything with yeah. the business, but they're still sitting at their same desk. And, and do you mind if I store some stuff in the corner and then absolutely. that corner becomes bigger and bigger and bigger? Yeah, and, and then up. maybe someone else comes and works yeah. and they've all of a sudden got a desk. And yeah. you can see how, you know, over time, mm. and maybe other empl- non-family employees don't want to raise it, but actually they're feeling pretty disgruntled yeah. because they're trying to work really hard and it's all being trodden on. So... There's some things there around resentment and, and differing interests. Um, I think another interesting thing you see quite often with property, um, and this is something I've seen quite a few times, is when a property has some sort of historic significance. Uh-huh. Um, so probably in a multi-generational business, um, you know, it could be the founder's home, it uh-huh. could be... Um, you know, important for some other reason. So a farm is quite a good example yeah. of that. You know, it's it's part of the family mm. story and the family business's story. Yeah. Um, and when, you know, you maybe have siblings with the differing uh, attitudes of, say, you know, historic reverence mm. and progress, yeah. um, you can see how that could quite quickly... And then you start getting into... Um, maybe if that's left to them in a will, if it's left to them, you know, there's lots of different structures of joint ownership. Uh-huh. If that's not thought through properly, um, you could then have, again, a falling out yeah. around the property. Um, I acted for a, a farming business um, quite a few years ago now where, um, and again, this is very common, um, the you know the the older children had all gone off to you know London or uh-huh. you know wherever to make their careers um and the youngest child had stayed behind um and ran the farm right didn't 
you know, I mean, probably that's exactly what they wanted to do. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, had raised their family on the farm with their parents uh-huh. as their parents had got too old to really run the farm. They'd looked after their parents as well as running the farm. But then when their parents died, it was the farm was left three ways and the other two siblings sold it. Wow. So they lost their home, their income, mm. their heritage, all of those things. But simply because, you know, there could have been lots of other ways of thinking about yeah. that. Um, and development land's another interesting thing with farms. You know, it's quite difficult to develop in Greenbelt, but mm-hmm. if you've got a part of your farm which could easily be sold off, you know, people who aren't invested in the, the farming bit of the farm may think, oh, that's fine, you know, chop that bit off and yeah. sell it, get this great big water cash from a developer. Uh-huh. But actually the person who farms it may feel very differently, yeah. either emotionally or practically from mm-hmm. the farming point of view. It's not always just emotion. Yep. There might be a, a practical reason why that's good pasture or that's good, you know, good for the farm to mm-hmm. have it. It might also be strategic. Yep. You, know, you don't know all of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those examples um, are... Interesting, and I think there's no way really of structuring something in a way which will definitely rule out all disputes uh-huh. forevermore. Yeah. If, if I'd discovered that, happy days, you know, that yeah. would be great. Wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have probably mentioned that earlier in yeah. this podcast, um, but that also means there's no one size fits all answer that you can just dish mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You have to sit down and really think about family dynamics and you know the different uses for the land and and those things when you're and no one's got a crystal ball no mm. one knows what's going to happen in 10 years time and no one knows you know how siblings are gonna even if yeah. they're best mates when they're teenagers uh-huh. you don't know what they're going to be like as adults yeah. to, to work together um but it's it's about it's thinking about you know the possible things and you've got to make it eventually you'll have to make a decision based on the information you have to hand Uh then and I think as long as you've thought that through and you know that you've made that decision based on everything you had to hand at the time that's the best you can hope for Um, and hopefully it will stand the test of time slightly better than plucking an idea from the air yes absolutely and I think that the 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 key is there it's the same with the the tax considerations, it's a consideration, is it? What if there's a dispute? What if there's a falling out? At least exploring it allows you to prepare to a certain extent as to what may happen. Um, but it's not something you can say, well, I'm not going to do that in case there's ever a dispute because there may never be a dispute. Absolutely. And that would be, you know, I think you've got to plan for what you hope for. Yes. In a certain, in, in a certain sense. Um, but have it in the back of your mind exactly like the tax. Mm. Um, just, you know, think that at least if there's an, there's an answer and something's been recorded, then there's a, a way to follow rather than it all disintegrating mm. into, you know, a, a, a horrid mess yes. um, of, of arguments. Mm. Um, if you've got it written down, at least there's an answer. If that answer doesn't quite work for circumstances as they transpire, then you can tweak it and work with it. Yeah. But you've got a structure within mm. which to work rather than no structure yeah absolutely um so, so i mean we've, we've covered it a little bit there but are there, are there any more common pitfalls that people fall into that, that perhaps we can give some ideas as to how they can be 
avoided. So communication and, and thinking about things uh, in the whole is, is perhaps one. Yeah. Are there any others that we can? I think, think I think my main one is, is informality. Uh-huh. So the you know the the example we had earlier about the person having outside interests and that developing is yeah. is a good example of that. Um, but there's also the um, you know that oh well, I own that with my brother or you know I own that um, you know the family owns that uh-huh. and there's lots of ways in which that can change. Uh, some real life examples of seeing people, you know, going through you know, one thing be the, the ownership structure working, and then maybe one of the siblings going through a divorce, mm-hmm. remarrying, yep. and that dynamic change, um, just meaning that the it, it doesn't work anymore. If you've got it written down again, that's good because you've got a structure within which to work and and that that will be better if it's all not written down at that point then it 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 can be a bit chaotic Mm. in terms of thinking about it so that oh it will be all right because it's family or oh it will be all right because we're we all get on Mm -hmm. um again plan for what you hope for and hopefully you'll always get on that would be the best option um but i i Another interesting take on that is a uh, is a matter that I worked on quite a few years ago um, with a business. It was multi generational, you know, very well established, um, and had two sides really to the business. It had the operational business and quite a lot of property that it needed for that, and it also had an investment portfolio mm-hmm. uh, of houses and flats and all of those things. Okay. And they were all just clubbed in together, really messy ownership structure. And everyone in the family with, you know, as with multi-generational businesses, quite a lot of people Mm -hmm. at the current generation, really not getting on and really finding it really difficult because they were feeling that, you know, someone had a bit more than they had. You know, they really wanted, you know, this particular property was somewhere they remembered from a Mm -hmm. child, but actually that was that. And um, it ended up, you know, sadly, everyone wanting to go their own separate ways. Mm-hmm. I say sadly because actually, once we got it all sorted, um, and everyone did the investment properties were all split out separately. So no one, everyone was happy that they'd all got a fair deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, these people are never going to have Christmas dinner together again. Yeah but they might not cross over the, to the other side of the street if they mm-hmm. saw each other. So, they, you know, they may be civil with each yes. other again. And that, from not just from sorting out the property, there was lots of other stuff mm-hmm. to do with it. But, again, it's such a big chunk of, of, of the emotional, you know, it's, it's so visible property. Yeah. It's so obvious. Mm-hmm. You can't get round it. Yeah. Um, it, it really helped with the family coming back together because everyone sat down, thought about a fair way of doing things, uh-huh. um, and, and worked it out. Um, and that really is, you know, one of the nicest things I've ever done in terms of advising family uh-huh. businesses. Um, the, the most rewarding work, um, and that's through just not leaving everything to oh, it'll be all right. Because yeah. actually, what if it's not? What if it's not? Mm. And even if it is, having it all written down somewhere, there's a peace of mind to that, to mm-hmm. knowing that in the same way as a will, 
there's a peace of mind to knowing that you've got it sorted. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, if something, even an external factor happens, mm-hmm. um, you can go, you can, you know, refer back to your piece of paper, which tells you what the arrangement is between the family and the business mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the business and the property, all of those things. Um, I'd say probably one of the other common pitfalls um, that we come across is is time. Mm-hmm. Moving property around takes a long time, yeah. a lot longer than people. I mean, you know, anyone that's bought a house knows it takes about seventeen times as long as you'd hoped it would. Yeah. And that's not through any fault of anyone in the process. That's just how long it it's takes. Just the way it is. Um, you know, and we do. We we get instructions to turn things around very very quickly, mm-hmm. and we we can do it. But it's not always the best way to do it. Uh-huh. Um, you, you're not giving yourself enough time to really consider what you're buying or leasing. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's it's not the best way to do it, essentially. And it, it's it's one of those things is, is time, sort of thinking. You know, if your lease is coming up, uh, you know, diarise when your lease is going to be yeah. at an end, because what you don't want to do is be stuck in this situation where you just renew even though you know your property isn't quite right for you uh-huh. if you diarise that for maybe two years in advance yeah. you could have had a really strategic think about when your lease comes up in uh-huh. two years maybe you move and you yeah. move to somewhere new and all of those things um, rather than you know sort of realising oh, April oh, I remember yeah. there we go we're there we've got three um, weeks yeah exactly what, what can we do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that would be the other thing. And so coming off of that, um, another interesting thing for family businesses, especially multi-generational ones, is that when property changes hands, as I've just said, you know, sort of investigating the property, uh-huh. you do that when you acquire it. I mean, property in some family businesses hasn't changed hands maybe ever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly in, in, you know, upwards of 50, 60 years, it's a very good idea to have a stock take, uh-huh. have a think about what you own. Has it got all the rights that it needs? Uh-huh. You know, is there this track that you've always used, but you've never really thought about who owns it? Because if in five years' time, you know, maybe you're coming up to retirement or, you know, the business wants to move or, you know, whatever reason you want to put it on the market, uh-huh. if you've got all of those things settled now, it's a much more comfortable position to be in. Um, But also, what if the property next door sells Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden someone's telling you you can't use your access? So those sorts of, you know, especially, I mean, it's a good idea to do those things regularly as with everything, you know. You know, you will tell people to review things regularly. Absolutely, yeah. It's exactly the same with property. Uh Just check that, you know, you, you do definitely own what you think you own. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, that it's got all the rights it needs mm-hmm. uh, and that everything's properly uh, recorded and settled. Um, and I think that's a, another really good thing to think about. Perfect. Um, and so would that would you say that's your number one tip or have you got another? I'd probably gym? go back to the, uh, the informality. Uh-huh and the talking right. about things. So if you own a business, 
that has property within it and you have a certain idea about what you want to happen with that property, um, either after you're no longer involved in the business or even more short term than that, Mm -hmm. um, communicate that to people, to the other people in the business, be they family or non-family, so that they know what the plan is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you're going to, you know, it might be that you're, you're looking to sell, you may own your property and actually another structure we haven't talked about is a sale and lease back. Mm-hmm. So you're looking to sell that to an investor and then take a lease. So you stay running it mm-hmm. and you stay, you know, in place, yeah. um, but you change the ownership structure and, 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 you know, all of a sudden you're then in a family business, particularly where, you know, you see lots of people with, you know, in very low staff turnover in family businesses as a whole, as a mm-hmm. generalization, that kind of thing can really unsettle people. Mm. Whereas if you're telling them why you're doing it, you know, you're not doing it because you're winding everything down. Yeah. You're doing it because actually that's the best thing for the business it at this time. Yeah. Um, you, you're going to get fewer. And we all know what happens. You know, as soon as a rumor starts, yeah. that's it. It's, it's like fact. Yeah. It just goes through the business. So yeah, I think probably as with you know, I think if you ask tips at the end of any of these talkings, probably the main one. It does come up quite often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but for a reason. Absolutely, yeah. Talk it's about, a really important part of it. Yeah, so yeah, just talk about your property holdings, your intentions, your plans, mm-hmm. um, and, and form a plan. Excellent. That has been really, really useful. Thank you very much um, for your time. Is there anything else that you, you thought we should have covered that, that we haven't? No, I don't think so. It's been an absolute pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. And where can our audience find out more about you? So VWV's website uh, which is vwv.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on there. Uh, my telephone number's on there, so just give okay. me a ring. Brilliant. And we'll put links up on the show notes. Um, and VWV are also active on Twitter, aren't they? Um, yes. So, again, we'll put a link in the show notes for the Twitter account. Thank uh, you. And if people need to get in touch, they can do. Please do. Right, great. Thanks very much, Jess. Thanks. Cheers. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.